We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Congratulations to every young Laker fan where this is your first buzzer beater game winner uh, as a fan. These are special, special games. Uh, Anthony Davis hits an incredible... Three going to his left uh, on an inbound play with 2.1 seconds left to give the Lakers the 105 to 103 win in Game Two in a game that they very much tried to give away in the second half and really played poorly, but they end up pulling it out to take a 2-0 series lead. Um, we'll get to how the game in general transpired in the second half of the show, but in the first half we're going to marvel a bit about Anthony Davis. Um, we've talked. You know about some of his his shot making in these playoffs, and I want to get more into that and more into the like what makes him a one of one type of player in the NBA. Um, he, for one, there there are a lot of superstars that do not have a playoff gear, and he certainly has one. And what I always marvel at is 
his ability to get shots off, right? Like his his shot attempts for a player his size, he's able to take more of them than pretty much any player in the league his size, with, with maybe one or two exceptions. Um, Darius, what is it about Anthony Davis's game that allows him to be not just a shot maker, but a shot taker at this level of basketball when so many bigs can be neutralized from a shot attempt standpoint? You know, I'm going to go all of the way back to one of the first videos you did on Anthony Davis after the Lakers traded for him. Um, you had done this great video about the guard skills of mm-hmm. Anthony Davis. Uh, and I'm working on another one now that I got all the sweet angles, too. So, yes, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, but go find Pete's old video on YouTube. It's, it's out there and it's worth your time. Um, and I think a lot of that shot creation ability or, or shot taking ability, right? Like just the gener- the ability to generate field goal attempts. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of that is born out of those guard skills that he came up with, right? As like a guy who was like six foot or six foot two in high school, then had a crazy growth spurt. And a lot of his ability to sort of um, like shoot on the move, which is not something big guys can do a lot of, right? And, And so Anthony Davis scored the last 10 points for the Lakers. He hit a spot up three. He hit a runner, right? Like in like the one that put them up first before he hit the game mm-hmm. winner. And then mm-hmm. he hit a three basically coming off of a screen that was a design play, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And this dude is 6'11". And, and, and so while, while those aren't all like regular parts of his repertoire, right? The Lakers aren't running him off curls, for three-pointers, right? They sure. will spot spot him up at times, but a lot of times those are sort of like, let's give LeBron space. Anthony Davis is on the floor playing center, and even the three that he hit as a spot-up threat was like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then the runner was just sort of classic Anthony Davis type, type of shot, which is saying something when you're talking about a player his size, right? So right. he has the ability to drive left, left or right and and then sort of dip his shoulder and throw up like just these one-handed shot put type shots where he is not on balance his feet aren't set but Mm -hmm. he is still able to get square and still able to sort of have the strength to get off like get into his shooting motion and he has Mm -hmm. such great touch as an offensive player, that that those shots go in at a rate which they probably shouldn't for a player his size. So, like, one of the things, there's a lot of footwork involved in that. There's a lot of body control, like, involved in being able to get off the types of shots that he does. Um, And look, man, 23 field goal attempts this game, it probably could have been... 27 or 28 based off of the way that the fourth quarter um, evolved and sort of how he got frozen out of of possessions in like a real odd way. Like we'll get into that later in the pod, but just the idea that it, 
it could have been it it really could have been four, five, six more shot attempts this game if they would have decided to play through him a little bit more. And he's just an unbelievable player, man. And, and this is just us talking offense, right? Like right. he is still well, one of the great <laughs> defensive players in the game. I thought I thought Jokic did a great job of sort of taking it to AD's chest to get that shot up late, right? The, the one that the put lead, Denver right? up one. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, like, AD's defensive presence was fantastic this, well, this game as well. So mm-hmm. the idea, and did you hear his post-game comments, like, for the walk-off know. interview? Um, he had just talked about, like, Basically, sort of, it was a very, um, like, they discredit me interview. Like, Mm -hmm. they say, I'm not ready for this. Like, the moments are too big for me. And he's just Mm -hmm. like, absolutely no way. Like, those are the shots I want. I want to take that shot. And and it was very much like a, a speaking out to whatever number of small critics still exist of Anthony Davis. Charles Barkley at halftime was talking about like, you know, like he just don't have it, that killer instinct and all that stuff. Charles be saying stuff and that's fine, right? Like Mm -hmm. Charles be saying stuff. I don't think that that's a mainstream idea at all in the way that it was like a mainstream idea for like Pau Gasol, for example. Right. But but Anthony Davis does get that sort of like, you know, that he's a, he's, not like maybe not soft, but he's not as assertive as he needs to be. He's not as aggressive, even you know, like he will acknowledge that as well, right? Uh, and that's part of his growth as, as a player. But there is certainly a perception like the, the way that we perceive Anthony Davis, I think, is changing with these playoffs. Yeah. He's on an all time great playoff run right now. Um, with respect to the guard skills that you brought up earlier, the the underlying skill or you know the underlying attribute that really informs every type of shot that a player can take is balance and just just basketball basketball in general like balance is of the foundation or if there's a pyramid balance is on the very bottom part of that foundation of which everything else is built upon the difficulty with being on balance in basketball is that you're on the move all of the time and so you have to go from moving very fast to, like, say you attack a closeout. This is very common in high school basketball. A guy attacks a closeout, and it's a train with no breaks, right? So if the defense rotates over, it's going to be some collision, right? It's going to be some off-balance shot or a turnover. Um, in the NBA, your windows of opportunity are even smaller. And you talked about, like, the runners and floaters that he's able to hit, that's something where he's able to disassociate his movements and kind of like, you know, he's jumping to the left while shooting to his right. And it's it's relatively slow. And I mean that as a compliment and that it's under control. Yeah. And so that type of shot for most guys, anytime you introduce left to right movement in a shot, you have to correct for it. It's somewhere in the shot, right? If your momentum is moving to your left, you got to make sure you can't just shoot the way you normally do, or else you're going to miss to the left. And AD is able to correct like that in part because he takes 
relatively small and efficient steps, and because he's able to disassociate movement. So he can cross his right foot over his left while reaching toward his right, you know, and kind of, he can twist himself into these, that's, oh man, with this footage that I've got in this video I'm working on, you can really see it because it's all floor level or a lot of it is. And just like, he's like this pretzel or plastic man type guy, right? That can like bend into these shapes and and like, how how is he able to contort in that way? And just like that flexibility gives him balance that allows him to get all of these shots up. Well, it's like I said a few pods ago, right? Where like AD's like water, right? Mm-hmm. And so he finds his way into creases. He can make himself skinny, mm-hmm. right? In in ways where he can he can poke his way through a gap or a crease in order to find the space that he needs. And like he is. He so when you talk about like sort of him being a one of one, a part of that to me is also his his body type and the type of athleticism that still exists in his type of frame, right? And so he is relatively high waisted, um, but he's got really broad shoulders. He's got really long arms. Um, but he's super explosive as a leaper, right? And then you add some of the mechanics that he has as as a shooter, right? Where he he doesn't have a super high release, but it is like above his sure. forehead area. And I think that his ability to sort of center himself while on the move is just a unique trait for someone who is his size, right? And some of that, I think, is, like, his... While he doesn't play with, like, always a wide base, his shoulders are wide. So he's sort of able to compensate with his upper body in ways that a lot of players need to compensate with their legs and and Mm -hmm. really being on balance at their feet, right? Like, you and I had talked a lot about... um, Kyle Kuzma and Lonzo Ball, like when they were coming up early in their careers and and a, a, like a really important point that you made about their shooting success or lack thereof was what do their feet look like, mm-hmm. right? Like how are their feet? And AD is definitely like that as well when he's sort of getting into his step back and a lot of his off the dribble moves where he's really squared up and playing on balance. But he also does not need that when he is making a lot of those left to right moves, which is something that a lot of players don't have. Not only Mm -hmm. like not big men, but just players in general. And a, a part of that, I think, is these physical attributes that he brings to the table because there's not a lot of guys who are built like him. Like he, he's literally drawn almost like a cartoon character. Yeah. In, he's one of the, in, there's like five or six, there's like five or six guys in the NBA at any given point that are like, that guy makes no sense. And sometimes it's not that many. Right. And like just the way Anthony Davis moves for his size doesn't make sense. Right. And he, there is an elbow pull-up jumper at the end of the third quarter that he hit that I want to talk about that's an example of kind of that what you were saying about being able to center yourself while being on the move. The game had gotten sloppy, and we're going to talk about that in the second half. But um, 
it was so it was this early offense like transition and he pulled up to the elbow i think it was plumley that was was dropped back and just dribbled up jump stopped into his shot and just popped it from the elbow right from 15 feet away and the speed at which he was moving dribbling into his spot and the jump stop and like even the way the ball went in reminded me of Kevin Durant and there have been a couple of times during these playoffs mm. where like it, it AD is not Durant offensively because Durant's I mean arguably as a scorer he's he's right near the top of the best like the most complete scorers ever when combined with his body type right like he's got physical advantages that he stacks he stacks his fundamentals on top of that that make it very difficult and AD's not quite at that level but he he's not that far away from that either, right? That's what's was really in, incredible from a, and I'm talking from the mid range specifically. Yeah, is was where he reminds me of Durant. Durant extends it out behind, behind the line a little more than AD does. But so as he's dribbling into this again, this whole idea of like we talked about left to right movement a moment ago. Um, so does forward movement, right? That shot is usually missed back rimmed. Right, because what happens is you're dribbling and your momentum's going forward, and when your momentum's going forward, unless you correct for it, your arm is naturally going to go flat. Right, like your the the old uh, shooting coach saying is, get your elbow past your eyebrow. That's going to ensure that you have proper arc on your shot. When you are moving forward on a pull up jumper, your natural inclination is to keep your momentum going forward when you jump. And your arm, it's harder when you're moving forward for your arm to go up at the angle that it needs to, to get proper arc on it. And he was able to do that because he does a little jump stop into that and gets and he converts that energy from going forward to going straight up and on balance. And all of a sudden, this is a practice jumper uh, on, a, on a shot that's almost invariably back rimmed. And this I, l- let me butt it in. He he back rimmed one. I think two possessions later or two possessions earlier. Like it was very much in that same sequence of the game, that same part part of the game, and he missed one exactly the way that you're describing. So I just want to say that it's mm-hmm. not like the evidence is right there of like how hard of a shot that that is even for AD. But continue because I no, want right. to make your point. No, that's absolutely and and so in the playoffs. The it's when being when having a higher level of skill is is more important because of the adjustments to the defense that get made right is that the there are players that really thrive in the spaces between defensively the regular season and the playoffs right and, and teams do not defend at that level during the regular season they can really thrive on that I love this team because. It's such an illustration of some of the aspects of the game that that still matter, right? And why they still matter. And Anthony Davis is a great illustration of this in that like that elbow pull-up jumper is as old as the the game is. And as the league has progressed toward more three and key type shots, ha- having control over that mid-range area, even if that's not like the ideal shot that you have, is still so important. But it takes... There's a certain skill set involved in that that is unique to that area of the floor. And it's a lot of footwork. It's a lot of triple threat. It's a lot of what Kobe was great at, right? Yeah. And seeing, I don't know if you saw, man, like it looked like it at least, like 
He hits this three in the Mamba jerseys, this game winner, runs back as his teammates are running toward him to mob him, and he's saying, Kobe, right? Like, as it, come on, man, in the Western Conference Finals in the Mamba jerseys, and just like, there's so much of this team that, that that skill in that mid-range area, uh, and and, and of Anthony Davis specifically, um, that is really, it's, it's the last piece, like, to being a great team. Yeah. That you need somebody who's great from mid-range. And that's something that I didn't anticipate when we got AD originally. But his mid-range game in the playoffs has been just incredible on high volume. And LeBron isn't really a mid-range guy. And so it's like he AD's offense... Again, we're talking about the best defensive player in the game too. But AD's offense gives us that last like cherry on top that's very necessary to be a championship team and it's because of his ability to get on balance from almost any position and moving in any way so a couple of points the sequence or the setup into that play to me was almost as important or indicative of the uniqueness of anthony davis as a talent as him being able to hit that shot in the like at the end of the possession right? Mm -hmm. The ball, I think, got swung to him. It was sort of a early offense play if we're thinking about the same play, and I think think we are. He had sort of either ball faked or shot faked, and but he was sort of upright and had the ball over his head, and he's at like the three-point line, and then a guy like ran by him a little bit and he sort of contorted his body to keep yep. the ball away from him, and then he went right from that into a speed dribble, right? Pushed the ball in front of him and then gathered and then elevated. And the part that I thought was so great about that was just how he actually didn't like lean forward on that. Mm -hmm. And he almost Straight created or sort of like as much as he could got almost into that natural fade that he has on his jumper, right? So it was more straight up and down than what his sort of like step back or fade three looks or fade jumper looks like, which was what the game winning three pointer looked like, right? With where his shoulders were sort of back at like that that twenty degree angle a little that bit. That sweep backwards. and sway, yeah, where you're yeah. leaning and the legs go forward. That's your sweep and sway that Kobe would use, yeah. Exactly. The other thing I will say about Anthony Davis is is when and sort of this pivot to mid-range play, um, especially during the playoffs, right? Because he killed Portland mm -hmm. with these types of shots, right? And so far during this series, it's also been sort of a heavy jump shot series for AD so far, although he's done more work around the basket um, through the first couple of games. But still, like, some of... His most important plays have been made jumpers. Mm -hmm. Is when the Lakers first got AD. I don't want to speak speak for you, but I will right now. And anyway, I think you and I were probably most excited about his pick and roll potential, especially mm -hmm. with LeBron, right? As sort yes. of this guy who could play downhill and on the move and be a lob threat 
and everything that sort of went with that, right? Catch Ray Radius, and it could be lob, it could be pocket pass, his his ability to not only finish above the rim and catch it there, but also catch the ball on the move and finish with layups and, and, and just all kinds of craft around the basket. But as you get deeper and deeper into the playoffs, those are the those are some of the first types of plays that they're going to try to take away from you, right? Mm-hmm. Like as within the context of a pick and roll. Like for all of the lobs that the Lakers have caught in this series, I don't think one has been a straight pick and roll lob, right? Like compare that to the types of lobs that like Bam Adebayo is getting against the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, where almost all of his lobs are off straight pick-and-roll situations. Him and mm-hmm. him and Dragic, him and Tyler Harrow, right? Um, even him and Duncan Robinson a little bit, where it's just sort of just like, oh, I'm setting the screen, I'm getting downhill. and But the Lakers don't have that same caliber of shooting as like the heat do to sort of space you out and to sure. not be able to tag the roll man. And yeah, it's so, an obvious decision to tag him, yeah. Right. And so he's not catching those lobs. So what's ending up happening so much more is like he's picking and popping to the three, like to that mid range area, or he's picking and posting, right? Where they're generating switches out of that. And then he's able to turn and face and get into his triple threat game. And his ability to knock down that jumper, I think, is so crucial to the Lakers' success in order to be able to attack pick and rolls in functional ways that no longer involve the lob, right? Because because LeBron wants to get downhill, and he wants to score at the rim. And AD wants to get downhill, and he wants to score at the rim, especially in pick and roll actions. But the way that as you get deeper into the playoffs, defenses are going to take both of those away, right? And LeBron saw a lot of that this game where – and I think that that impacted him. And like I said, we will talk more about this in the second half of the pod. But this is where AD's brilliance as a shot maker comes into play because he can bail you out of so many possessions based off the fact that he's just a guy who is difficult to stop in, in those situations. And that's, that's amplified, I think, in this series where Jokic cannot guard him um, capably one-on-one. Jeremy Grant cannot defend him one-on-one. And really, those are the only guys that Denver even feels comfortable deploying on him, right? Like, they're not going to go, at least they haven't so far, gone to P.J. Dozier or Michael Porter Jr. or even Plumlee to defend A.D. Um, The Plumlee matchup, I think is dictated more by minutes. Like he's been playing more when AD is off the floor. Mm-hmm. But, but again, there's only a couple of different guys that Denver even feels like, okay, like these are really our, our only options. And, um, and AD is eating these guys up, man. Like, look, 31 points today, 11 for 23 shoe shooting. He went two for four from three, hit all seven of his free throws. Like, come on, man. Like just as from an just from an offensive standpoint, that's an amazing game for someone who took as many jump shots as as he did. Um, he's he's really just one of a kind, man. Like, like 
it was just amazing to watch this dude cook this game. And, it, and, and he saved the Lakers. He did. Yeah. So let's take, let's take a quick break and talk about uh, what he saved them from. We'll be, we'll be back in a moment. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. So right now, go to indeed.com backslash podcast. Terms and conditions apply, and the offer is valid through September 30th. The NBA and NHL are playing for gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports. And remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So yeah, the Lakers, we deserve to lose this game. We did not lose this game, but there was a, in the second quarter, I'm a big uh, trash talk guy. I enjoy trash talk, right? Um, It has to be accompanied by requisite, like, engagement and activity, right? Then talk uh, talk all the mess you want to talk. It it seemed clear to me the Lakers feel like we're a lot better than they are, and I believe they're right about that, Um, but they, they... Tempted the basketball gods. That's that's part of why I was uh, surprised uh, that that they let AD hit that game winner because of how we played in that second half. We like that's usually going to be a miss, right? Because you deserve to. We deserve to lose that game, and uh, it was. I, we will get more into the the some of the technical reasons why, and I hate to be so reductive in my analysis, but there was a clear off switch, right? And it started coinciding with as we started getting more and more boisterous and animated and we got the second quarter technicals, right? And um that that after that we did not engage with the proper amount of effort. And so like Denver's beating us to loose balls were laid on rotations that are that are now and ones instead of contested fading 10 footers as they try to get a shot over our length right uh, it it shows up in all of these ways and then as you alluded to lebron really struggled in that fourth quarter in particular um what what do you think what did you see in terms of why things changed as much as they did especially against a team that you know has a history of coming back we know this nuggets team is not going to give up yeah no you know what what i saw i had the Lakers look like the other LA team <laughs> in that fourth quarter. We we were a little clippery at points tonight. They yes, took, we were. No, hey man, and, and 
And let me explain is the Lakers started to be very over-reliant on the jump shot in order to score offensive possessions. And I thought Denver did a pretty good job of sort of trying to close off the paint a little bit more. The, um, P.J. Dozier drew a charge on a Kyle Kuzma play. He was um, really good for them, yeah. And they really packed the paint on some of LeBron's drives, right? Um, and so more and more of the Lakers' offense started to tilt towards jump shots. Um, jump shooting is not as reliable as, you know, layups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rocket it's also, fights, right? It's also, like, more indicative. Like, you can always take a jumper. And yeah. so that that's, like, partially – that's a big, great deal of, like, mental – Focus right is like it's easier to do this. We don't feel threatened, and so we're gonna we're gonna take this bomb, right? Well, I also thought too that some of that is how much do you want to work through things in order to get something better, right? And, great and great so point. There is a there, and, and some of that is not just your own decision making. It's the defense is actually doing other things now, mm-hmm. right? Like so, things are. The approach that we would typically take is not the same approach that we need to take now in order to get the same types of shots that we were getting earlier during the game. Do we want to continue to get those same shots and adjust appropriately to what the other team is doing, or are we just going to sit back and shoot a jumper because now I see the second defender, and, and he's standing right there, Mm-hmm. He is he is zoning up the strong side, and the play there is either I'm going to shoot the jumper or I'm going to work through something different, and I'm going to think out this possession a little bit more in order to get something better. And look, I'm not going to kill LeBron James here. You know, I think that LeBron is one of the greatest players in the world. He's allowed to not play well every single second of the game and still be considered like a great player. I am also the same person though who will tell you when the thing that you're doing is wrong or bad or is hurting the team. I thought LeBron handling the ball as much as he did, and and I think this was true of Rondo some too during LeBron's stint out of the game during the middle part of the fourth quarter. But LeBron especially, he basically did not go to, diff- to alternative options. And instead, he dribbled the air out of the ball a little bit, and he ended up settling for long jumpers. Um, the worst possession, I thought, was that one where like he like hesitated on that three. like He went full on into his shoe shooting motion and then pulled it back down and then shot a three anyway, and it airballed. Mm-hmm. And I just yeah thought, those break oh, rhythm ones yeah like like oh LeBron like what are you doing here like this is not this is not the dude like look the box score plus minus is like a weird stat it's not always like I think we use it a lot to tout a player like Alex Caruso like he shows up well in in box score plus minus um, but he also shows up in like adjusted plus minus and a lot of other stuff, right? But box score plus minus is not always reliable. Today, I sort of think it is. LeBron was a team worth minus nine in this game. And 
almost every single run that the Lakers made in order to sort of extend their lead happened when LeBron was off the floor. Like, LeBron went out of the game, and it was like 12-12 in the middle of the first, first quarter, and then the Lakers went on a run. But, I mean, like, part of the reason why it was 12-12 is because LeBron had 10 points. Yes. And, like, it, it would have been like 12-4 if we were, like, because everyone else was awful, including AD. AD started out very slow. Yes, and so and that's the balance because LeBron kept them in the game early on with his scoring. And I even tweet, tweeted this out. I said, like, LeBron is locked in. No one else is. And that was true at, a, like, five or six minutes through the first part of the game. That was absolutely true. And LeBron's offense carried the Lakers. At one point, it was like, oh, LeBron has seven points and Denver has four. And then it was Denver has 10 points and LeBron has seven. And then it was, oh, it's 10 all, right? And then it was, it's 12, it's, it's 12, 10. And then Denver got a bucket and then LeBron went out. That said, I thought the Lakers were playing more of like a team-centric game and they found their rhythm. And I think that that was especially true in the second half and in the fourth quarter. And when things started to spiral downward, LeBron was in the middle of that. I, like, I, that's just what it, it was. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean, like, I don't know what, what to say. I hate to, like, issue all, all of these cav caveats about, like, I don't think LeBron's bad or, or, or like, whatever. Like, those are <laughs> obvious things, right? Like, I'm not going to sit here and, and try to, like, smash on LeBron James. But he played poorly, I thought in some crucial moments of this game. And I thought, especially in the final part of the fourth quarter, that he went into one-four sets, and I thought he should have been going to Anthony Davis. And Mm -hmm. it was AD who was reliably getting baskets against his individual matchup. And it was LeBron who was facing more, like, two or three defenders, like, gearing up against him looking to drive and I just thought he was going to read that differently or even just better I thought he was going to read read it better and he didn't and I can guarantee you it he's not going to say that to the press but I bet you when he watches the tape he'll probably see some things differently on tape than what he saw in real time because he is LeBron. I bet he thinks I'm going to make a play regardless. And it just didn't happen this game. So we tried, I noticed us trying a lot of, and we've been doing this throughout the series, but um, setting screens with our guards, Danny Green, KCP for LeBron and these step up screens. And they'll, they'll often be ghost screens, right? Where the guy will pretend to set the screen and then slip it. But instead of slipping it toward the basket, slips it to the three point line. And what we were trying to do on those was to get the guy, the defensive player that was guarding the the guard that was setting the screen, Danny or, or KCP, to hedge on the wrong side. And as soon as he would, LeBron thought that he would have a step, and he did, right, where the guy would hedge on the wrong on the side, and then they would. So LeBron would drive to the basket, and then. Denver's defense would cla- collapse from the wing to take that away. He he picked up a charge on one of those. Um, there were a couple of plays where he tried to make the play off of that. Our spacing wasn't great on that. And there were a couple of times he didn't make the um, the, the he kick, had that one play where he had that one play too where he slipped and fell. Sure, 
Yeah, and, and that's been an issue. In, right, yeah. Right. And yeah, so that was Denver's game plan, right? Was like, we know that he's going to beat that first guy. We're going to help off of the strong side, which is usually not like it's usually a mistake, right? That's not something you would normally do in basketball because that strong side kickout is pretty open. Um, but he, I thought LeBron held it like for a beat too late on some of those plays mm-hmm. before making that kick out to the strong side. Because again, it's a, it's a more unusual place to help from, especially one pass away. And it, it it's smart. I think Denver's best chance is to hope that our shooters can't make open shots, right? Or that we don't quite have the spacing that we need to to thrive. Um, I We haven't seen much of LeBron in the post. I would like to see more of that perhaps in, yeah, in these like late, late game situations, especially with the way that AD can space out the floor. So I think that that's a possible adjustment going forward um, because we were trying to attack from the top of the key with LeBron. And again, they were... It was part partially, you know, LeBron holding it a beat too late, not making the right read, which is rare for him. But uh, also, just I, I thought that just like anything else, you need to mix it up a little more. Um, but yeah, having AD, you know, it, it certainly certainly covered for not LeBron's best second half at the very least. Um, I, I will a, say this though: mm. twenty six points are right. 10 exactly. for 20 shooting. We're spoiled, yes. Yes, yeah. 11 rebounds, 4 yeah. assists. I think the number to look for that sort of spells out why this wasn't LeBron's best game is the 6 turnovers to only <laughs> 4 assists, right? Yeah, and we had 23 turnovers as a team, which again speaks yeah. to the lack of sharpness um, and, and how seriously we took them, I thought, in the second half. And, you know, does us winning the game, I, I, hope, I hope it's a tough film session. To, yeah. tomorrow right like they need to there needs to be some accountability it's easy when you win a game to forget the things that you didn't do well and we played very poorly in that second half and i hope that they hold themselves accountable for that and be like hey we, we need to you know this this is a team that does that i think and i i especially think that that's true during the playoffs um i have a feeling that frank vogel will basically tell tell his team that um Yes, we're up 2-0, but really, like, the series is 1-1. Mm-hmm. Like, we played poorly enough to lose, and he's probably going to treat that film session like a loss, right? right? Where there's not going to be a lot of celebrating. There's not going to be a lot of, of, like, these are the habits we need to build on. I have a feeling it's going to be a lot of, this is what they did. This is what gave us problems. Look at this here. Look at that there. Look at the cumulative effect that this stuff had. And, you know, that will probably be tomorrow's session. And then do they have two days off before game three? That's what the Eastern Conference Finals is. I, I don't I have, have the schedule in front of me. Yeah. I'll take a look at that in, in a second, and, and we'll come back to it. But if they do have those, those two days off, I have a feeling that tomorrow will be the bad cop day, right? And mm-hmm. then the next day will be the good <laughs> yes. cop day to sort of get them back on to track a little bit um credit to denver though they made a couple of lineup yep. tweaks right um i want to talk about I thought that dozier i thought dozier gave gave them mm-hmm. really good good energy and showed sort of an all-court game mm-hmm. that i think denver desperately needs um one other thing i wanted to ask you about and because we talked about it some in the last podcast um 
And we sort of equated it to maybe some laziness um, defensively and maybe some of what Denver was doing and also maybe like some optionality that might exist within the Lakers scheme. I thought one of the bigger issues the Lakers had in the second half defensively was that they were switching as -hmm. much as they were switching. Um, Do you agree that that was a problem for them? They were getting strung. Like Denver was doing some things in order to get those switches. They were stringing out the dribble on like the screen and roll. Jokic was setting some really good screens, but Murray was coming off of those picks not necessarily looking to score. He he was looking to drag the big man out and then make that distance for the guard to recover to him too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lakers ended up switching a bunch, man, like way more than what I want them to switch. And it hurt them. I I was okay with the frequency of the switching. It was the execution of the of the switching. Like especially if we've got those smaller lineups out there. Like the first couple plays. So for example, against uh, Caruso, Jokic would post up against Caruso, and they they went to Jokic in the post against our switches fairly frequently. And the the first couple of them, you know, we got stops, and it was exactly the type of rotations on on the back end, right? Like we want to make. Jokic a scorer, even if he's switched onto a guard, but we want to give him kind of a soft double, right? Because a hard double, he's just going to make that pass over the top. And so guys need to be rotating and you're asking a guard in Caruso's case or KCP or whoever switched on him is to take away like one side of Jokic, meaning that if you're going to game plan to say, take away Take away middle, and if he yeah. if he executes that drop step, you're sending help baseline to contest and hopefully block that shot. Now we did not; we were late on some of those as the third quarter went on. Like I'm, I'm fine. It was one of those performances where I think that whatever scheme we were running at that particular time would have been run poorly because of the amount of engagement that that we had off of the ball. But I I think that ultimately switching is is something that's beneficial for the team. I mean, at the end of the day, the Nuggets scored 103 points, right? Yeah. Like, it was our our defense was really good for most of that game. Um, there was just a, a lack of engagement where we are making preventable. So, for example, Jokic, after we got two stops on that Caruso-Jokic switch, uh, he's backing down on Caruso on the left block, and AD doubles off of Murray. Oh. Uh, you know the play I'm talking about. Uh, right. And it's like it's like the place you don't double from. It's the easiest pass to make. It's just a kick out three. And it's like, like if Jokic is going to hit a little four or five footer over the top of Caruso, who's working to beat him to the spot, like that's fine. We live with that. Um, it's not what you don't want is that kick out step in in rhythm three by Murray. Uh, and like we just made a lot of small mistakes like that. That I thought it was more of the execution of the scheme that was the issue than the scheme itself. I hear that 100%. Um, I just, so it's interesting to me because I was sort of having a version of this conversation online with someone or actually let me take, take that back. I wanted to have a version of this conversation with someone online, but I thought it was going to get argumentative. So I deleted the tweets. Um, <laughs> but basketball is a game of instincts, mm-hmm. right? And all of these players, I think, at so there will be times, probably multiple times over the course of a basketball game where 
your instincts and the scheme are diverging from each other, mm -hmm. right? And the thing that you see in front of you, you want to do something to stop that thing that's in front of you. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, and the scheme or your principles tell you, I shouldn't be doing that. That but plays a perfect example. It, yep. But your but your instincts override that, right? Like it, it because you've been playing basketball for your whole damn life, and you've been operating this game plan for five days. Right. Right. And it, and it, you it, see a seven footer backing down your point guard, and you want to help. Yes, and especially when you are a natural help defender, right? Help, mm -hmm. like, like, so, for example, the exact play that happened this game where Anthony Davis helped down, he left Jamal Murray, right? In game one, it was that same exact play, except it was Danny Green mm -hmm. who helped down. And I had said online, like, KYP, man, like, you, like, you got to know. You can't, like, it's not your job to help there. It's your job to stay attached to Jamal Murray. And Anthony Davis made the same exact mistake that Danny Green made in, in game one. And that's, in, that's, that's his instincts overriding what the scheme says that he should, should be doing. And my issue with switching so much is that Denver is uniquely positioned to sort of challenge your instincts when, when you switch on them because they will get the ball to Jokic. He will threaten parts of the floor and that make you want to like sort of position yourself a certain way, um, either as a helper, like with a full on double or just as a helper in general. And then you start to ball watch and Denver is especially Jokic, but as a, pa as a passer, Jokic is, is too good. But Denver as a team is, is, Part of their DNA as an offensive basketball team is to move off the ball. They cut, yeah. they screen, they relocate. And they, they were really good that. at that in this game, yes. And they do that probably better, or they're at the top of the league mm -hmm. with that. Yes. Right? Like there may be other teams that are right there with them, but 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 they're but they're one of the best teams in 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 the league at doing that. And so I think that getting yourself in to those switches is going to it's 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 going to test you mentally even more than what you're going to be mentally tested generally against Denver, who is already having you operate at a pretty high level mentally, defensively. And that's, I guess that that's a very round, roundabout and long-winded way of me explaining why I'm not necessarily into the Lakers switching as much as they are. Because even if it doesn't always show up in the box score as a win for the offense, I think it's taxing the Lakers in, in a way and testing their discipline severely um, that can wear them down in other ways that impact the game, right? And, and it's one of the reasons why I love basketball as, as a sport. It, it's sort of that interconnectivity of a flow sport like hockey or soccer where one thing over here that's on this totally other side of the court totally impacts the thing that's happening over there and over here as well. And all there's all this interconnectivity between all of the players that are on the floor. And I just prefer that the Lakers control more of that 
then ceding some of that control to Denver based off of how things work after a switch. Like, am I off base there? Do you see where, where I'm coming from? Or for you, is, is it still, hey, man, just execute better. Like, do the things that you're supposed to do, and we're going to be fine. Yeah, it's – so switching, I think, is a, is a great option for – as a means of shutting down isolation offense, right? And, and, or, and, and as a means of shutting down the, the screening game, right? Um, we have the personnel – to shut down the isolation offense that often comes from switching, right? So, so scratch what I said there, right? Like you can get beat by mismatches with that. W- there was one play where AD absolutely gobbled up Jamal Murray. You tweeted about this uh, on on a switch, and so they're going to go to Jokic in the post. And part of the the purpose of switching, right, is shutting down screening game. And so I, I actually think of it from the other perspective is that you can shut down a lot of that off-ball movement that they have when you're locked in on your switches because that's when it becomes more about beating a guy one-on-one. And they don't always have the athletes that, that they need to be able to do that. Like the Jamal Murray play against AD, that was just like Jamal Murray pulled out every trick that he had. And then he stepped back and went up for the jumper and was like, oh, I am not open. <laughs> and like swung yeah. it, right? And... And so Jokic can do that, but Jokic, like, to me, like, making Jokic score 35 to beat us is what I want. It's it's just what was happening off of the ball is we were making so many mistakes uh, that, you know, it, it kind of rendered that moot. Um, so, yeah, we, that, that'll be to be continued regarding switching in this series, but I am still a, a big fan of it. I just saw an overall lack of uh, just a drop of intensity level. Uh, yeah, I think that there's a game within the game aspect to, to, to all of this. Of and course. It's not the primary game. It's the secondary game that the Lakers need to win more of. Yeah. Is I think us like what you're describing, and 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 that's like a level of attentiveness and being locked in on other spots of the floor that don't have anything to do with what you're doing at the point of attack or or on the ball. And that's an important way of thinking about the outcome of what happens after the switch rather than the switch itself. Yes. Now, one last thing I wanted to talk about with Denver specifically in terms of how they adjusted. You mentioned their lineups. The Lakers are a team that you have to beat us with force. You have to go right through us, where if you're trying to kind of dance around us, it, you're going to have difficulty. But it's like Jeremy Grant, like, planting two feet in the ground and dunking at the rim, right? Like, it's uh, P.J. Dozier has some athleticism, right, where he's going to drive in an early offense transition possession and get the bump on AD and get an end one because he attacked it with force, Um Michael Porter Jr. being able to just elevate over the top of a really good closeout because he's freaking 6'9", 6'10", and can can pop that. That was... I saw Denver try to muster as much of their own athleticism in force as they possibly can, and I thought that really worked for them. Uh, I The counter to that is when the Lakers are locked in, those guys can be less skilled or, or less well-versed in the, you know, if the defense is doing this, then I need to do that, right? Guys like P.J. Dozier was a summer league invite for the Lakers a couple of years ago. I always love seeing these guys around the league a few years later, like, hey, check him out. He's like the 10th guy on their team. And like, they, hey, look at Matt Thomas, right? threes for Toronto. Exactly. It's just like, hey, old friend, I That's remember right. you. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's a testament to the 
the scouting department uh, for the Lakers that they find so many of these guys that have a career in the NBA when so many guys don't. Um, so yeah, they're, they're going toward their athleticism on the wings in particular. I saw Dozier handling the ball a ton in that mm-hmm. fourth quarter. Uh, what was your take on kind of the approach that they took from a lineup perspective? I mean, I actually thought that, you you know, so Mike Malone has a lot of guys I think that he knows can play on this team. Um, I think that like most sort of veteran coaches, and Malone's been around the league for a long time, right? Even if he hasn't been a head coach forever and ever and ever, he's, you know, he was on, he was on like that Mike Brown staff in LeBron's first run in Cleveland. Like that was a long time ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um and, and so I think that like most coaches who have been around the league for a long time and have aspirations of their team being great, you balance sort of experience versus um, upside, mm-hmm. right? And there is an upside that comes with sort of the physical skills that you were just describing with a guy like Michael Porter Jr. or P.J. Dozier that um, – Coaches then balance that against the downside of like making mistakes and are you going to be in the right place and are you going to make the right play, right? Like um, like for all P.J. Dozier did, that was a positive. Like while the game was going full bore, he missed four crucial free throws when the game was at a standstill, right? And so the, I'm not blaming that on, on his youth or inexperience or anything sure. like that, but, but those are big moments as well, right? That um, – and and you giveth and you taketh away a little bit when you're a young player. I I definitely do think that Malone sort of saw the game going a certain direction. Um, look, Gary Harris again, one for six from from the field. Millsap, um, yeah. Millsap, right? Two for six. Millsap, I thought competed like mm-hmm. with all of the sort of ruggedness that he had of in course. him. To, to try to compete both with both against Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard, two guys that he's like physically outmatched against, right? Um, he battled hard, but in the end, production is what's going to matter, and and sometimes you do need some livelier legs out there. So, I thought Malone sort of went into his bag a little bit. Dozier's probably the next man up. Like, it's not going to be, I think, like Bates' job. Right or mm-hmm. bull bull. I don't think those guys are going to get a call out of the cupboard. Um, if Dozier didn't work out, like I don't know, I don't think there's another guy after that that he was going to dig into. Right. So um, I don't know. Like I think that he earned himself a shot in Game Three. Um, I do think that that Mike Malone will try to leverage as much as he has on the wing and try to put as many rangy athletes out there that that he can because I think that he probably sees that as his best way of competing with with the Lakers, um, especially when the Nuggets are on defense, mm-hmm. right? Um, but in the end, I do wonder how much of it is, well, all right, the Lakers let 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 off some right Denver really took and I hate to put it all on the Lakers because the other team still has to do something sure but they still have to do something with that they do and Denver is good enough Denver is good enough to 
do something with that. And look, man, they were up one with like under 10 seconds left on the clock, man. Like they were up one with two seconds left on the Right. This is how we lose right. to that team. This was like, this was the formula for how we lose to, to this team. This reminded me of when the Lakers are going, man, and like we're really playing our game and everybody's focused in, in playing with a certain level of intensity. Again, I, I don't want to be this reductive, but it's really this simple to me is it looks like JV versus VAR out there, man. Like it, it, there's, there's such a profound difference. And now when there, you know, when, when VAR is not, you know, they're, they're BSing, right? Like you have to take basketball seriously to a certain level where our intensity level will go from uh, a nine or 10. We can hit when we hit 10, it's, you know, when we go on these supernova runs, but we drop down to like twos and threes, right? In sure. terms of, of how, you know, how, how much we're, we're competing and really focused. And it, like, man, we're talking about PJ Dozier, like no disrespect, but like, PJ Dozier's yeah, not swinging this series, right? Like it just it shows that there's a certain level of athleticism that, especially on wings and that t- size players, that I guarantee you, if we get past Denver, De- Miami, or Boston, have those type of guys that they will play. Like Jalen Brown will dunk on you, Jimmy Butler will go through you, Bam Adebayo will. You know what I'm saying? Like these these yeah. types of athletes will really exploit if you're not all the way locked in on that in a way that we're vulnerable to. And so even more so than just this series, I thought that not just that Denver came back, but kind of how they came back and some of the guys on the margins that were, that you talked about this in the last pod, right? The, the importance of their role players really playing well. Yeah. And it's not just like a spot up shooting type of thing, but guys like Jeremy Grant, Michael Porter Jr., PJ Dozier, having some of the athleticism to hang with us that if they're going full bore and we are not, they'll be able to score and compete and, and and beat us in ways that like a Jamal Murray can't, even when we're not all the way on the throttle. Yeah, it's interesting though. And look, like I'm agreeing with with what you're saying, but it to me this goes back a certain amount to so there is that idea of appropriate fear, which was mm-hmm. our sort of series preview we'll we'll preview, right? And Again, I'm agreeing with the fact that like the Lakers clearly sort of got out of sorts and let their f- and and didn't necessarily take their entire foot off of the pedal, but they they definitely slowed down mm-hmm. enough. Um, I guess my concern with all of this is that I don't want the team to sort of get in this mindset of like, oh well, we're so much better than them um because that is where things get dangerous and look like the lakers won a game they shouldn't have won that's really problematic for a team like denver because the games that the lakers shouldn't win denver needs to win those like Mm -hmm. they have to beat a team who is better than them four times and one of those one of those four wins went to the lakers right now right and and so now beating them four times out of five games is seems difficult. Yeah. Right. Um, that said, like, I still do think that there were some things where it's just like, okay, well, Denver needed to start to take some things away 
from the Lakers. And in the second half and in the fourth quarter especially, I saw them take some things away. Now, how much of that was the Lakers sort of allowing the other team to take that stuff stuff away? And how much was that Denver finding something? Sure. And um, based off of like what you've been saying, it sounds like you're more in the line of like, oh, that was more the Lakers. Yeah, it's like, of. well, basketball is a sport where if you take something away, you're giving something else up. And then it becomes a matter of do you have the personnel and ability to take advantage of the thing that's giving being given up now. And are you recognizing it, what's being given up now that wasn't being given up a moment ago, that wasn't yeah. even given, you know, what your game plan is toward, uh, like them collapsing into the, ba- the paint on LeBron is, can you adjust to that? And we've got, we've talked about the shape, shape-shifting ability of this team and of all of the shapeshifters on this team, no one more so than Anthony Davis. So really, like, whatever Denver is trying to do, he's at the nexus of how we can adjust. It's just a matter of, like, putting him in the different spots and letting us yeah. letting us exploit it that way. I, I'm with that one, 100%. I'll be very, like I said, I guess... I'll be very interested to see the adjustments continue in to Game 3 and see how much of what was real and how much of it was, mm, yeah, the Lakers are still just better. And I'm with you on believing the latter. I wanted to ask you one more question. I'm sure we're going to get out of here soon. But um, did you think... So Dwight got two shifts, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were And they almost all aligned with Jokic, yeah. Jokic's minutes. Um, do you think Dwight should be playing more than just those two sort of like, he got a second quarter shift and he got a fourth quarter quarter shift. Do you think he should see some of those, like another shift in like the first quarter? Because I thought Mike Malone did a good job of saying, oh yeah, well, you're going to start JaVale McGee? Great. I got Jokic, right? Oh, your first subgrouping is going to be going small? Great. I'm still going to have Jokic out, out on the floor. Oh, you're going to go to your other small lineup where now it's Markeith Morris at center? Like, great. I, like, I'm still just going to play Jokic, right? And, and do you think Dwight needs to get in there a little bit earlier? Do you think Vogel should really consider starting? starting him like I like the I approach. think I know what your answer is but but <laughs> yeah I like the approach in game one actually I'm fine with keeping JaVale in the rotation and giving giving him a shift but him starting in that third quarter like because I think there's value in that tag team that we talked about yeah. with Dwight coming in and matching up with Jokic right and that's what we did in this game is it was very much aligned except for those starting shifts and I thought I thought JaVale's had a rough go of it in each of his shifts in this series and that by that third quarter one unless JaVale's had an exceptional first shift I think that that's you know I'd like to see him start the third quarter uh, Dwight that is so that's that's where I'd like to see them go how about you on that yeah I think that I think that it would be good to sort of get Dwight a few more minutes and if that means like an extra shift by starting the third quarter like I'd be I think that's the easiest way Yes. To get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and JaVale's just going to have to live with, I guess, only being a one-shift player, which 
is fine, I suppose. Um, I do think Dwight can be an, a very impactful player. He is um, showing that defensively. He was a plus and, 10 in 13 minutes tonight, which matches the plus minus, right? The, again, box minus. You know, box yeah. score plus minus can have its holes, but he's been a significant plus in in both of those games, and I think it's indicative of of how he matches up with Jokic. Yeah, I guess I'm just saying that if he's only, if he's not going to start the third quarter, then that 13 minutes is about what he's going to get because of the way that the Lakers' rotation is set up, and I don't see Vogel sort of getting off of the rotation as it's currently constructed right now, where it goes from two big lineup to AD at center, right? To then, um, and then they played small, right? With the Morris at center lineup to start the second quarter where typically that would be Dwight, but they're holding Dwight in reserve to go at Jokic when Jokic comes back after playing the entire first quarter, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why Dwight only got 13 minutes it's because Jokic only played right like he got a good rest in both of those in both the second and the fourth quarter before coming back to close the game and then and then the Lakers didn't close with Dwight Mm -hmm. right because they went small again with with AD and which was fine but I would like to see Dwight's minutes I think probably in the 18 to 20 minute range yeah rather than in the 12 to 14 minute range. Yeah, same, same on that. Um, well, it, it was far from a perfect night from the Lakers, but thank God for two superstars. And, uh, you know, AD confirmed that he called Kobe after hitting that uh, in, in the post-game interviews. So, uh, again, congratulations to the Laker fans. This is the first one that you really remember. These are special. Um, this, the Lakers are on a special run. They are now... 10 and 2 in these playoffs um looking every bit the you know the dominant team that's that's remaining in the NBA. So we're back I believe on Tuesday. We'll record after game 3 just as we have for the rest of the playoffs after every game. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Gamble in and out, the ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left, here's Van Exel. This is for the win, he got it! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen! Bryant! Unbelievable. Bryant! Yes!
with a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?